Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Hi, this is Darren Ride with part two of two, my interview with Tim Chesterton, an Anglican priest in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, talking about disciple making from an Anglican tradition. So let's jump in in the middle of the conversation. If you didn't catch the first part, you can go back to the most recent episode for part one. This is part two, disciple making from an Anglican perspective. So what does evangelism look like in your world? I mean, obviously you have children born into the church who are baptized and confirmed and through that, but how does it happen? What does it look like on the adult level? How has someone quote come to faith or how would you even describe it in your, in your context? I think that, um, you know, I joked earlier on about the sort of the, uh, the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come model. Um, and I, and I think that in some ways um, that can still work. You know, I mean, uh, we do get that at our church. Well, we did in pre-COVID days anyway, you know, that uh, the doors are open on Sunday morning and strangers will drop in. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes um, those strangers will hear something that uh, that sort of clicks with them and that will start them on a journey. You know, I think that um, sometimes it happens in the context of uh, people inviting friends uh, to, to, to try out the, the, the church service. I mean, we've done that a few times. But I think that what I'm trying to get people in, in my congregation to see is that um, the market for that kind of thing is is continuing to shrink hmm. uh, because because the the Sunday church experience is becoming more and more foreign to to most people. You know, um, the people who tend to drop in there now tend to have been people who've had some experience with it in the past and who've kind of slipped away for one reason or another. You know. Um, so I think that um, what I'm trying to do is to is to help people to understand that they have a faith story, and that they can uh, develop relationships, and that they can share that faith story, and it doesn't have to be a you know what's my, my friend Harold Percy taught, uh, used to teach a course called sharing your faith without losing your friends right and that's mm-hmm. the uh, <laughs> that's that's of course the great fear that a lot of people that 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 a, that a faith conversation is going to be the end of a relationship and yeah. and and helping people to understand that no that doesn't have to be the case you can have these kinds of conversations and i think that i mean you and i are both people who have other interests right outside our ministry <laughs> and uh and 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 in the context of those interests we build relationships with with people who are not christian you know, and and who make no bones about the fact that they're not Christian. You know, um, and um, and who maybe are a little bit sort of wary when they first find out that we are Christian and that we're pastors or whatever. Um, in my context, it's it's in the music community in in Edmonton where I'm sort of I've got a huge circle of friends uh, in the folk music world, many of whom are not Christian. And um, but I've discovered that um, you know if you're genuine. In, in your relationships with people, if you really care about them and if you take an interest in their lives and if you uh, are respectful towards them, um, those conversations can take place. And sometimes they will take place and not at your initiative either. Sometimes they'll right. take place yeah. at the other person's initiative. I mean, I have, I have been amazed, um, just to give a couple of examples, um, three or four of my friends in the folk music community in Edmonton are Alcoholics Anonymous members and um, have, have, um, 
through them, I've had an opportunity to uh, have contact with alcoholics who are working through their, their 12 steps and working their fifth step where they need someone that they can share their crap with, you know, and uh, all that. And uh, so there's an opportunity there for, for a, a Christian witness and, and for an assurance of the love of God, uh, but also just an ongoing relationship with people who I wouldn't meet um, in in. Uh, if it wasn't for that kind of thing. And uh, I, I've been asked to do funeral services for people um, in the music community who have no church connection. Um, so, you know, I think that when, when people ask me sometimes, what's how do you get started? I say, well, you find something that you enjoy doing and then you find some other people to do it with. And then and then you pray that God will, will guide you as you live your life transparently in, yeah, in those beautiful. situations. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I mean, we're called to be salt and light, not just yes. voice boxes, right? Like there's there's yeah. the perm. I mean, we need the words. We know we need the words. The gospel is yeah. words, but there's the relationship that that kicks in. In our in our world, Tim, when someone quote comes to faith, uh, you know, a lot of times historically it's been reduced to praying a prayer, hmm. uh, but increasingly it's been clarified. It's about repenting and believing yeah. and following Jesus. Initially wrapped up in the image of baptism. Like yep. That's that's how that's how we would describe, for lack of a better term, coming to faith or crossing line or whatever. What does yep. it look like in your world when an adult comes to faith? Well, I mean, that de- sometimes that depends on what their experience has been in the past. I mean, uh, I think that um, I, my suspicion is that in the in the um, mainstream evangelical world in Canada today, that it, that that it's a lot closer to. At the Anakin world than a lot of people think in that I think that m- people tend to take more time over that journey now than they did maybe 30, 40 years ago. You know, I mean, when Billy Graham was doing his evangelistic ministry in the 50s, you know, he could basically assume a huge amount of knowledge of the Bible. Right. That's the big in, difference in the culture, right? I mean, yeah. basically, the only th- thing that he had to correct was people's understanding that they were saved by being good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you right. know, uh, whereas now there's a huge amount of knowledge that people don't don't have. So I think I think people need space to form community and to ask their questions and to move at the pace which they're comfortable with. And maybe at the end of the day, they won't be exactly sure when it really was that they came to faith. Hmm. You know, it'll be more of a journey for them. And maybe maybe at the end of the journey, they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I'm not quite sure what's happened, but I think that um, I'm ready to make some sort of a public um, um, commitment, in which Hmm. case... My question is, well, were you baptized when you were a child? If not, well, well here's the water. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Or were you, were you, if you were baptized when you were a child, then let's, let's, um, let's arrange a confirmation service where you can affirm uh, in public the promise, the liturgically, the promises that were made at your baptism by your, by your parents, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it depends on that. But I think that, um, it's more, uh, Anglicans are probably more likely to see that journey into faith as being more of a journey and a process. Um, I mean, for me, I I had a, a time as a young teen where I made a definite commitment of my life to Christ. You know, um, um, my wife didn't have anything like that. She'll tell you that um, she can never remember a time in her life when Jesus wasn't real to her. Hmm. You know, um, so I think that uh, what I'm learning as I get older is just to say, well, the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. You know, and I think the Holy Spirit sometimes takes a perverse delight in in in, in getting off of my program. <laughs> <laughs> and doing the things that, uh, that 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 the Holy Spirit will do. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's much more. I don't more know if that's an answer to your question. I don't know if that's, uh, an answer that's to your wonderful. Question. That's excellent. Yeah, no, it's, it's. I think it's helpful for those of us who aren't familiar with the Anglican world to see how it how it actually works and what it looks like. And 
that there are obviously some differences, but there are some pretty clear parallels as well. And yes. I think the journey, the journey metaphor, not even metaphor, the reality of the journey, yeah. uh, people are increasingly aware of that. I just did some teaching and re- renew even on this podcast of the angle scale, which was yeah. came out in the seventies, you know, where mm-hmm. people were at minus 10 with no awareness of a supreme being and how mm-hmm. they moved through these different stages of understanding and belief to the place of repentance and faith and then growth from there. And, yeah. you know, in, in a, in a very churched world, it was all about getting people to quit trusting their own good works and trust Jesus well, yeah. now it's about even awareness of, of the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, you know, yeah. cause that's not where people are, people are all coming from. Now you've yeah. written a book on, you know, you know, starting at the beginning and moving ahead growth wise. So if somebody quote comes to faith, let's talk on the adult or young person level here. How do you, what do you do with them at that point? How do you grow them? How do you continue making disciples in that context then? Thank, thanks. That's a, that's a really good question. I think that, um, um, there was a time, I think in the 90s and, and maybe the early 2000s, where we all thought that running a course was the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, unlike Alpha, Alpha was kind of one example of that, right? Or like my sort of Christian basic stuff and, and things like that. Um, and that can still work. But I think that um, my perception as a pastor is that people are way more frantically busy now than they were 25 years ago when you and I were in Valley View, you know, um, and, um, and just getting people to make the time, um, to, to come out to a, a weekly event for 10 weeks or whatever that it's just like pulling teeth to do that yeah. sometimes. Interestingly enough, COVID made it easy, made it easier. You know, I mean, yes, yes. we, we could do it on zoom, you know, and, and <laughs> people were, but, uh, but I, what I'm discovering is that uh, more and more, I'm just, I'm just meeting with people and having mentoring conversations with people and mm-hmm. like, where are you at? Um, what, what are the basic Christian habits that you're trying to learn? Where you, what, what are the, what's the growing edge with you right now? How can I help you? So if there's a curriculum, the curriculum's in my head, right. um, you know, but it's more to do with, um, and it's not even so much to do with, well, let's go through the Apostles' Creed and make sure you've got your head figured out. It's to do with um, what are the basic practices and habits of a Christian disciple, you know, and, uh, and, and how can we, and which ones are challenging for you, right. <laughs> you know, and how can we, and what's the priority? Like, which one, what's the ones that we need to work on and how can we yeah. do that? And I'm finding that I'm, 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 I've kind of come full circle with that because you know that my dad was also an Anglican priest and uh, his, his one-on-one ministry with people was the foundation of his, of his, of his uh, evangelistic and pastoral life, you know. I mean, visiting people in their homes and having those kind of conversations. Um, he used to say that was the most important part of his ministry. Sunday was just the window dressing. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I'm almost feeling in some ways like I've kind of come full circle and come back to that now. Hmm. Um, uh, with the one difference being that my dad used to do that in people's homes. I tend to do it more in coffee shops and, and, and public places right. like that. But yeah, but, well, that's, uh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of- also, of course, of course, there's also all kinds of beautiful resources that are available, which we can show, we can, we can point people to, right? Whether it's print books or whether it's internet resources or stuff like that. So I've often found, you know, I mean, what I did with starting at the beginning was to record some YouTube videos and then, and then gather a group of people on, on um, Zoom to have conversation about that. But that can work on an individual basis as well. You know, watch watch a video and then let's come together and talk about it and you can raise your questions and we can grow in that way. Yeah. And this is a bit of a half step, a side step. I think it's still relevant though. Uh, in our, a lot of our churches, there's been a lot of tension and division over, you know, restrictions 
and yeah. uh, meeting requirements and, and masks and vac- everything, vaccinations, everything else. We'll throw in some political divisions as well for, for good measure. How has how has your church specifically and your your Anglican world weathered this uh, COVID season? So I think there's probably a difference uh, in the Anglican world between urban and rural. Um, mm-hmm. And in the diocese of Edmonton, the vast majority of uh, our people are in the city or in the greater Edmonton area. And I think for the most part, most of them have been entirely comfortable with the restrictions on um, meeting and on masking and, you know, the expectation that people will get vaccinated and all that sort of stuff. What I hear from some of my rural colleagues is that in some of the outlying areas, uh, it's been a bit more controversial sometimes. Hmm. But in my congregation, um, there's been no controversy at all. Um, you know, in fact, um, I, I mean, we're hoping to open up our church for on-site worship on September the 12th, but I'm, I think it's going to take a long time for us to persuade people to come back. Really? A lot of okay. people are, especially with, with the Delta variant kind of going around, I think a lot of people are still quite nervous about it. Really? How did you find the year from a pastoral standpoint? Again, a lot of my colleagues in, in our denomination world, it would, they would describe it as the toughest season of ministry they've had. How, how did it play out for you? Yes, I think I would agree with that. I think it's probably, I don't think I've ever gone through a more stressful time. Mm. Um, and uh, and part of that was because of the fact that there was so much extra stuff which we had to learn how to do, particularly on the technology side. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then being treated as the technological guru in the congregation, which, you know, was something that um, I, I didn't feel comfortable with, but um, I think a lot of us kind of went through that. Um, the fact that we were working from home, uh, and it was very difficult to make a difference between work and home, um, you know, uh, I think was also a problem. But also, I would also say that um, God came through for us, hmm. you know, uh, in an amazing way. Uh, I don't, I don't also, I will also say I don't remember a time where I've been so aware that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, you know, mm-hmm. as Psalm 46 says. Yeah. And the the hunger of people to pray and the willingness of people to learn how to use new technology so that they could still meet together. And 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 the learning that there were actually people who wanted to pray together every day and, and were mm-hmm. willing to learn how to use Facebook Live to 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 do that. Yes. And and for us in a liturgical tradition, like we we have the tradition of a daily office of morning prayer and night prayer, which we, we found it easy to adapt. Um, mm-hmm. for so and and um, you know, um, we're still doing morning prayer every every morning through the week at eight thirty, and uh, it's not as well attended as it was when, uh, last year, but still, you know, there are some people who have just been formed by it and have told us they've been formed by it. So that's been really actually quite oh, gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was very interested to see some of the things you were doing online. You know, with, mm-hmm. with that daily office, that's just a natural and very easy to adapt and. Sounds like your people you know, responded very well to some of that. Well, and I think it's you, you give people lots of different options, and then it's interesting to see you, you, you're not always aware of who's doing what. You know, I mean, like uh, we sort of change it up every two or three months, and so I send out a PDF to okay, this is the new form of the simple daily office, and this is what we'll be using for our online services. And some people come to the online services, but then you know, you'll be having a conversation with somebody and they'll say, Oh, yeah, I do like night prayer every night, you know, using that simple daily office material that you send out and stuff. Like that. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, so it's I sometimes sometimes you don't know like how how wide that reach is going to be. So I think, and I, there's an old guy. Uh, in his 90s, lifelong Anglican, who emailed me about six months ago and told me that 
you know, he's been going to church all his life and sort of familiar with the Bible, but through the daily office, he's he's heard parts of the Bible that he's never heard before in his huh. life, wow. and it's just been really good for him, you know. So, yeah. so that that sort of uh, that wakes you up in the morning, you know, when you and and get and keeps you going when you hear people saying stuff like that. Yeah. So, oh, that's yeah. excellent. So, do you plan to continue having an online function as things loosen up, or what's going to happen there for you with? I, I think we probably will continue to do daily morning prayer. Um, I also think that for the foreseeable, for the immediate future, we'll continue to do most of our small group activities online because the people who are coming to them really like it that way. And it's also more accessible to some people who have mobility challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sunday, we plan to stream our main service um, from the from the church and we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. You know, I mean, having said I would never do that, (laughs) (laughs) having said that I would always like prepare a a separate um, sort of dedicated kind of service, I I had to accept the fact that there are only so many hours in the week. And, um, you know, and uh, I mean, you've warned me several times about the danger of focusing too much attention on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's easy to do that, you know. Uh, the, the 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 analogy that I've used is to think back to my time in the Arctic, where I did all the normal Sunday preparation, and then on top of that, about four hours of translation work into a into a into an indigenous language. Right? That's kind of been what this last seventeen months has been like. It's you know do all your normal Sunday prep, and then a, another few hours of all the technological stuff that you have to kind of get ready to make it possible for people to participate. Yeah, uh, yeah, we've all learned so much, haven't we? It's been been amazing, and I think. I think the net effect uh, by the grace of God will be a gain for the kingdom through all of this, you know, that, yeah. that we're going to leverage things in a way that we weren't before yeah. and connect with people that we weren't otherwise, because people are not necessarily very rarely really coming to church when they have spiritual needs. There's so many other places they go and they always start online. Yeah. It, it seems, it seems right now. Well, Tim, this is, this has been excellent. I just have a, maybe one or two more little questions to kind of move things towards tying off here. Uh you know, you're you're you have you have friends in the evangelical non-Anglican world, uh, myself included. When you look at our world and, and and all that means, and I know again, there's a lot of nuance in that. What kind of uh, things do you think the evangelical world could learn from the mainline world? What would you say? Hey, maybe maybe folks, you need to pay attention to this. Here's some ideas that mm. might be transferable into the evangelical world from the mainline world. Mm. And we're in the context of disciple making, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, just whatever, whatever comes to mind there. Okay, um, I think that um, in the evangel in the mainline world, we're we're maybe not so hung up on issues of, for instance, how literally a person should take the first few chapters of Genesis, or mm-hmm. you know, like how faith and science fit together. I think the the awareness that that um, the scriptures are a library of books. You know, they're not a book. They're a library of, of books written over a long period of time. And there's many different genres. And if I was to go to the public library and, and, and borrow a volume of poetry and a biography and a book of history and a book of lectures and the copy of the Criminal Code of Canada, um, you know, uh, those are five or six different genres of literature. And I wouldn't read them all the same way. So I think what I'm what I often t- tell people when they're learning to read the Bible is, you know, just because it's between two covers, don't don't read everything the same way. Ask yourself, what is the genre here? A psalm is a poem. 
So, you know, you don't go to the Psalms in the same way that you go to the Epistle to the Romans, right? <laughs> you know, um, so there's more sense of this is a living, this is a living word spoken to people in a, in a particular situation. Um, so I need to learn as much as I can about that situation and, and, and how literature worked in, in those days. Yeah. So I guess I guess um, I think in the mainline world we're probably more open to a little bit of uncertainty about some of that stuff yeah. and ambiguity about it, and there's not always a, a, a clear-cut answer to these kinds of questions, and yeah. I'm kind of okay with that, you know. Um, I'm uh, I'm I'm more okay with not having sort of black and white answers to some of the questions that people ask, and I sometimes think that that's really important for evangelists, mm. really important because I think that uh, I think that. Um, um, I mean, a friend of mine who's not a Christian asked me once, he said, like, do, do, do pastors ever have doubts? Hmm. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we do. He said, what do you have doubts about? I said, well, you know, I mean, I don't think I've ever come to a completely satisfactory answer to the problem of evil. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and um, I, I'm sort of always aware of the fact that uh, that it, it's not going to really cover all the bases, anything that I can say. But on the other hand, if I say, okay, because of the problem of evil, I'm not going to believe anymore, then I mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of other unanswered questions. Right. Yes. <laughs> a great long list of them. Right. So so you know, um, maybe this is the best that we can do, given the fact that um, God is God and God is so much bigger than we are. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as Solomon prayed in his prayer of dedication to the temple, you know, heaven and earth cannot contain you, how much less this house than I built, right? Mm, yes. And maybe, maybe some theologians could use to learn that. Uh, this house <laughs> that they have built is not big enough to... <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I think a, a more focused example of that, Tim, is, is the uh, desire of some to squeeze this last year and a half into a very... Um, ordered and prescriptive view of eschatology and, yes. you know, and, and interpret and interpret all through that lens and force it in there yeah. uh, rather than recognizing that this is a, definitely an era of history, but that we can't be chronocentric and assume that this is the center of history at this yeah. time. And yeah. the culmination, I think that that issue of mystery, yeah, you know, that you talked about in general interpretation, I think that's something definitely we can learn I think probably something I've learned from you in little bits and pieces over the years, the sense of uh, being willing to live with ambiguity and not yeah. having to explain everything all the time, right down to the final, the final yeah. dot and tittle, right? Yeah. The, the other thing I would say is that um, um, I think all of us are aware of the fact that the Christian world is bigger than our Christian world, mm. you know, and that um, we aren't the only people to follow Jesus and not everybody has followed Jesus in the same way that we do. And that doesn't mean that they were wrong or that we were right. You know, that it means that it means that um, our our formation was different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, I think uh, prayer, for instance, there's a long tradition in the uh, in in the monastic traditions of of of, of, of Catholicism and Orthodoxy um, of, of of the of prayer in silence, prayer using the Psalms, being led in prayer, liturgical prayer, those kinds of things. Um, you know, there are riches that you can kind of. Uh, help yourself too, you know. You yeah, don't have yeah. to become a card-carrying Orthodox, you know. <laughs> but there are riches, um, um, and just to, just as I I like to hang out with my Mennonite and Anabaptist friends because there are riches in their tradition of discipleship which are precious to me and have really enriched my my life as an Anglican priest, you know. Um, and uh, so I think that there's a, a maybe I may be I may not be being fa- be being fair, but it sometimes looks to me as if evangelical folk are not as 
uh, comfortable with with doing that maybe as 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 some christians are so i guess i would just like to encourage people to to just take a take a broader view and realize that there's 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 other ways of following jesus and there are things that we can learn from others mm. oh beautiful so well said tim that's uh i think that's an excellent place to land and uh i think this has been and i expect this will be enriching to people as they listen to it it's been for me personally as well and if people want to contact you or, or get to know you more is there somewhere online they can find you um, well, I have a I have a blog, uh, which is uh, uh, tachesterton.wordpress.com, um, and there the blog has contact information for me. Um, so you know it's got my email address on it and that kind of thing. I'm on oh, Facebook. Nice. I'm on Facebook in two or three different ways. I have a personal Facebook page, but I also have an author page on mm-hmm. Facebook, and I also have a musician page on Facebook. So uh, yeah. And also, um, St. Margaret's Anglican Church has a has a, um, a website and a Facebook page. And um, the, the, if you look on the St. Margaret's Anglican Church Facebook page, there are more Tim Chesterton videos than you could possibly watch in a lifetime. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's spectacular. I will, I will post those links down below in the show notes. People can hunt you down. And uh, uh, this has been a gift, Tim. I appreciate you taking the time to pour into the larger church world. Mm. And uh, appreciate your encouragement over the years. And uh, mm. we will we will talk again soon, I'm sure. Mm. Thank you. Well, I hope you found this and the prior episode encouraging and enriching as I did. And you can find information about Tim in the show notes below. And uh, be sure to think about some of the comments he made, particularly thinking broader uh, geographically, theologically, hermeneutically, and uh, just looking for ways we can be more effective at making disciples in this time and in this place. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.